Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. Happy Easter. If it is your first time here, welcome. We appreciate you guys checking us out under these unusual circumstances. My name is John. Uh, I am the lead pastor around here. We just really appreciate you giving us a little bit of time on this Sunday morning. It is Easter. It's a great day. We've got we got our decorations out. I mean, we have we listen. We we have we have spared no expense in the decoration department for for this Easter service. We want to make it very festive, <laughs> in spite of us being sort of all locked away in our homes. And you know, speaking of which, I think a lot of us, most of us, shall I say, really hoped that we would be back in the building today. That sort of life would have returned to normal by Easter, but unfortunately that just, that didn't happen. And you know what? <clears throat> That's okay. Because a building really isn't necessary for us to worship God and for us to celebrate Easter. And what's so interesting is that Jesus, he says, he says that he is going to be building his church, his works, not mine, that he is going to build his church and the powers of hell shall not conquer it. And when we as sort of English-speaking Christians hear this word church, we think building. We think bricks. We think mortar. For us here at DHC, we think the Museum of Discovery and Science. But Jesus didn't use the word church. He actually used this, this Greek word, uh, ekklesia, which means a gathering of people. And he was going to be building a gathering of people. He was going to be building a movement of people. Okay? And so this movement of people, this church, you and me, we can celebrate the greatest event in the history of mankind from the privacy of our own homes. We can be on our couch and we can still be Jesus's church. And so that's what we're doing today. Today we are celebrating the greatest event in the history of mankind. We're going to take a look at the crucifixion. We're going to take a look at the empty tomb because these are truly two sides of the same coin. And what we want to do today is we want to spend some time remembering what took place on that fateful day 2,000 years ago. And to find out what exactly the Easter story, the resurrection, Jesus as a whole, what does that mean for us as his followers in 2020? So to kick off, um, I want to begin this journey by taking a look in the Gospel of Luke to find out what he has to say about that very first Easter. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. And he says this, on the first day of the week, that is Easter morning, Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, which is an interesting little verse in and of itself because it lets us know that these women thought that Jesus would be in that tomb. That in spite of everything they heard, they were expecting a body, a dead body, to be in that tomb. And they were going to go preserve it with spices. Continues. When they got there, they found that the stone uh, had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were wondering about this, suddenly, it says, two men, who in fact are angels, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. It continues. In their fright, because as we see throughout Scripture, whenever humans have a, an interaction with angels, there's, a, there's some fear involved. Um, it says, in their fright, 
The women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, hey, a quick question, girls. Um, why do you look for the living among the dead? But he's, he's not here. He has risen. And then these angels kind of give these women a little bit of a refresher course. They say, hey, don't you remember how he told you? Sort of like, you know, you should know these things. Don't you remember? He said, don't you remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. So these angels are like, ladies, don't you remember that Jesus literally, when we mean literally, told you exactly what was going to be happening? So, a little awkward, but what are you doing here? (laughs) What were you expecting to find? You should have known, based on what Jesus told you, that he wasn't going to be here. So now it dawns on them. Now everything that Jesus said was beginning to click, finally, when they saw the the, the empty tomb. And so they run back to sort of discipleship headquarters, if you will. They tell the disciples, hey, just so you guys know, um, Jesus' body is not there. Here's what the angels told us. Now, these men, I don't want to say they didn't believe the women, but they wanted to see it with their own eyes. So Peter and John, they go run to the tomb to go inspect it for themselves. John, who wrote this gospel, says... Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he's speaking of himself here. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and he believed. It's very interesting. For until then, they, meaning all the disciples for that matter, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Now, this right here is an extremely important verse. But this is one of those verses that we just kind of, we just kind of breeze right past. It's just like extra background detail. But, but look what it says. It says that when they got there, and when they saw the empty tomb, that they saw and then they believed. Which means that before they saw that tomb, they didn't believe. That in spite of knowing Jesus for three years, in spite of traveling around the Mediterranean with Jesus for three years, instead of, you know, in spite of seeing him do all of these amazing miracles, feeding 5,000, bringing people back to life, hearing his teaching. For John, who wrote this, in spite of the fact that, that Jesus said to him, I love you and I want you to take care of my, in, in spite of all of that, these disciples did not believe that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be until they saw the empty tomb, which I find fascinating. You know, because we, as sort of Christians now, we, we look at these disciples as sort of powerhouses of faith, and they weren't, at least not until they saw the resurrection. See, they're, they're just like you, they're just like me. They, as we kind of wrestle around with these claims of Christ, these are real human beings, these are real stories. The story kind of fast forwards a little bit. John says that Sunday evening, okay, later on that day, the disciples were meeting. So let's just make sure we understand exactly where we are in this narrative, okay? It is now Easter Sunday. It's it's nighttime. Let's call it 6 p.m. We don't really know. And the resurrection has now happened, let's call it 12 hours earlier, okay? 
So it is the same day, later that day, where the greatest event in the history of mankind has just taken place. And where did these disciples find themselves? Behind locked doors. They're behind locked doors. Because they were afraid. And they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And I, honestly, I read this this week, and it took on all kinds of new meaning. Because, I mean, here we are, here you and I are, right now, celebrating the same exact event that took place then. And we, too, are locked away in our homes. Now, obviously, it's a wildly different circumstance, okay? We are in fear for our lives from the the Jewish leaders, from, from Rome at the time. But we are in fear. Story continues. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them, right? So picture this, the door's locked, they're all scared, they're all huddled around, maybe a little bit of fire, talking about the the events of the last couple of days, when all of a sudden, Jesus pops up, out of nowhere, just appears amongst them. And he says, peace be with you. But the whole group, here they go again, the whole group was startled and they were frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. It doesn't, Honestly, this does not make the disciples look very good. you got to love them. They were scared. Once again, they were scared. Jesus says, why are you frightened? Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see with your own eyes, guys. He goes, you can see that it's really me. And I find this whole account So interesting. See, it shows you that you can see the cross with your own eyes. They did. You could see the tomb, the empty tomb, with your own eyes. And they did. And you could even see the resurrected Messiah with your own eyes. And yet, you could still be afraid. And yet, you could still be filled with doubt. See, what's clear is that these disciples still do not understand what Jesus came to do in this world. And so what I want to do today, what I want to do with you for the remaining time is I want to make sure that every single one of us knows exactly why Jesus came to this earth. And I want to make sure that every single one of us knows exactly what the resurrection means for a follower of Jesus Christ. And since, okay, since those disciples were locked in their house, and since all of us are in essence now locked in our houses, right, feeling like prisoners, what I want to do today is I want to talk about what Jesus did to set us free. And more specifically, what Jesus set us free from. So, the first thing that Jesus did is he set us free from the power of sin. So I think for many of us, generally speaking, I think a lot of people when they read the sort of the gospel accounts, when they read the story of of Good Friday and Easter and the cross, I think a lot of us are tempted to believe that Rome won. That, That maybe the Jewish leaders of the time, they got the best of God, they got the best of Jesus. Look, they finally tricked him, they finally got him arrested, and they finally got him killed. But let me just tell you this, just so you know, 
None of this was a mistake. This was not a slip up on God's part. All of this was in the works since the very beginning, since the Garden of Eden. In fact, did you know that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you can go look for yourself, God revealed the plan that he would be using Jesus to save this entire world from its sins. In fact, all through the Old Testament, prophet after prophet after prophet detailed the account of who the Messiah would be, when he would come, where he would be born, what he would do, what we should look for, and, and, and what it would mean. And, and one of the most amazing prophecies is that 600 years before crucifixion was even invented, before crucifixion was even invented, the great prophet Isaiah details the Easter account. Look what he says. You got to see with your own eyes. Look, look what he says here. Isaiah 53. He says, we, and unfortunately that means you and that means me, we turned our backs on him. That's Jesus. And we looked the other way. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. But he was pierced for our rebellion and he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And yet, and I love that, it's sort of like, in spite of everything that we've done, in spite of all of our sins, in spite of all of our failures, in spite of our past, and in spite of the fact that we are still now living in sin, we are yet sinners, the Lord laid on him, Jesus Christ, the sins of all. Isaiah 53, it was written 700 years before Jesus was even born. And here his death is described in vivid, accurate detail. You see, God was always going to use Jesus to fix our sin problem. But, but Jesus' purpose on this earth wasn't just to forgive us of our sins. Forgiveness of sins is phenomenal, it's great, but forgiveness just kind of hits the reset button. No, Jesus' goal in coming to this earth was to set us free from the power of sin, from the oppression of sin, from the kingdom of sin, and from the slavery of sin. Here's how Paul, a New Testament author, who we're going to be looking at a lot today. Here's how he described our situation. Paul says that for sin shall no longer be your master. Effectively, he says that because of what Jesus did in this world, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, because you said yes to Jesus, because of what happened on that cross, and because of what happened in that tomb, Jesus saved us. Jesus says that our sin shall no longer be our master. Paul says here in a way that he's almost personifying sin. He's almost making sin like it's this entity in our life that we are contending with. And I feel like a lot of us get that, right? There, there's like this entity in our life that, you know, when it comes knocking on our door, we feel like we got to answer. There's this push and this pull, this, this tension in our life that, you know, I want to be doing the right thing, but I keep finding myself doing the wrong thing, the push and the pull. Paul's like, no, no, I, I, I get that. What's happening there is that it is the sin nature that lives inside every single human 
butting up and competing with the Spirit of God. But because of the cross, we no longer have to answer the door when sin comes knocking. Because of the tomb, we no longer have to obey sin as a master. Because of that empty tomb, the power has been drained out of our sin. We don't have to do what it wants us to do. But you might ask, well, what happens if we obey sin? What happens when we sort of hand the keys of our life over to sin and say, hey, you drop it. You take control. Well, Paul speaks to that. Paul says that for the wages of sin is death. And by wages, he means consequences, right? Kind of what you earn when you do it. He goes, the consequences of sin is death. Essentially, what he's saying is that sin kills things. We've said that many times at DHC. Sin kills things. And you've seen this, right? Haven't you? I mean, you've seen, you know, you've seen sin kill marriages. You've seen sin kill relationships. You've seen sin kill finances and, and careers. You've seen, you know, because of addiction, sin kill bodies. You've seen sin you know, kill careers, and you've seen sin kill self-esteem. Wherever sin shows up, something dies. And Paul wants every single one of us to know that Jesus died and rose from the dead to set us free from those sins. In fact, he says that those of us who belong to Christ have nailed, and I love that, have have nailed our sinful selves on his cross alongside Jesus, okay? Our sinful desires are now dead. It's sort of like the king is dead, okay? Long live the king. Sin is no longer in charge. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your king. Jesus Christ is. And what's more, Scripture details that the same spirit the same power that God the Father used to raise Jesus from the grave, that same Spirit is available to each and every single one of us. That that Holy Spirit lives inside the hearts of the believers in Jesus Christ. And that same Spirit is actively setting you free from sin. If you let it, it is actively setting you free from things like anger and addiction and worry and fear, and jealousy. We no longer have to say yes to those things because we've said yes to Jesus Christ. So what else? Because of Easter, we also have the assurance that Jesus came to free us from the power of our past. So do you know what Satan hates more than pretty much anything. I mean, if you were to ask him and just say, hey, Satan, just so we know, can you tell us what you hate pretty much more than anything? He hates it you've been forgiven. He hates it. Can't stand it. Satan hates that you, because of Jesus, are a new creation. But just because he knows these things, he doesn't give up. In fact, when it comes to your past, I firmly believe that Satan's goal is to make your past your present identity. See, Satan is well aware, very smart individual. He is well aware that you have been forgiven of your sins, that you've been forgiven of your past. But if he can keep you focused on your past, if he can keep you focused on who you 
used to be, then he could prevent you from recognizing who you are because of Jesus Christ and prevent you from being the person that Jesus wants you to be in the future. You see, the problem with our past is that you can't really hide from it. I mean, our past, unfortunately, wish it weren't, but our past is a matter of a public record. Everybody saw it, okay? If your, your friends saw your past, your, your family, your family, your coworkers, okay? But because of what Jesus did on that cross, and because of what Jesus confirmed in that empty tomb, we no longer have to hide from our past. We can actually embrace our past without fear of condemnation or judgment from God. We can live a life where we say, hey, you know what? That is my past. Yeah, I, I, I embrace it. I, I, I live up to it. That, that is my past. That is. Yeah, no, that's, that's who I was. But because of Jesus Christ, that's not me now. See, because of the cross, our past can remind us, but it does not define us. Yes, you did it, but you aren't what you did. See, part of understanding the importance of the resurrection and what the resurrection means for us is grasping that the old you died on the cross with Jesus Christ. And the new you was born when Jesus rose out of that grave. Paul says it like this. If a man belongs to Christ, he's a new person. The old life, it's gone. It's done. New life has just begun. And I love the fact that he says, like, has just begun. It's like a new morning. No matter where you are in your journey, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you get a brand new life. And I'll just put it this way too. For a Christian, okay, if for example, you just continue to sort of let your past define you, okay, or, or, or even if every once in a while you find yourselves handing the keys of your life over to sin and saying, hey, you take control. Today, Easter 2020, you can hit the reset because of Jesus Christ and you can start all over again. We have new life in Jesus Christ. But I firmly believe that the most amazing part of Easter is that the empty tomb confirmed that Jesus, as promised since the beginning of time, that Jesus would free us from the power of death. So in the last book of the Bible, Jesus makes a profound statement that I think really summarizes sort of Easter. He says this, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, and I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. See, what he's doing right here is he's proclaiming to the world he is proclaiming to the underworld, to the powers, to the principalities, to every human being. He is proclaiming that Christ has conquered death. Everything that we believe as Christians is rooted in these four words. Everything. Okay? 
a lot of people believe that the foundation of the Christian faith is the Bible. It's not. The foundation of our faith is an event, the resurrection. Okay? This is why Easter is so important. Paul says it like this. He says, if Christ, right? He just says, hypothetical. If Christ were not raised from the dead, then your faith is worth nothing. It's meaningless. He goes, and you are still living in your sins. Basically, Paul's saying, guys, if Easter didn't happen, and this whole thing's a sham. Writing the Bible, that was a waste of time. Reading the Bible, waste of time. Going to church, waste of time. Right? Singing songs, big waste of time. Volunteering to serve other people, waste of time. Paul's saying that if the resurrection, right, if it didn't actually happen, if it didn't physically happen, if it didn't literally happen, if the resurrection didn't historically happen, then we're just wasting our time. And what's worse, he says, because it's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection, because they're already in their graves, because it's, it's over for them. He says, so if all we get out of Christ, I love this, he goes, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration, for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. It, if all Jesus was, he says, if all Jesus was, was some really wise person, if all Jesus was, was some great leader, if all Jesus was, was some amazing teacher amongst a bunch of other great teachers, that would be the world's biggest disappointment. Why? He says, the fact is, Christ did actually rise from the dead and has become the first of, of millions who will come back to life someday. And this is what we celebrate today. Death, death was the enemy's greatest, most powerful, terrifying weapon. And with the empty tomb, Jesus destroyed that weapon. Jesus disarmed death. The enemy has nothing on us anymore. What I find so fascinating about this whole story is that a mission that was launched all the way back in the Garden of Eden was successfully completed on Easter Sunday. None of this was a mistake. None of this was by accident. Jesus specifically came into this world to break the power of sin, to release us from the prison of our past. And he died so that we could live forever in perfect peace and perfect harmony with our Heavenly Father. The promise of the empty tomb for believers in Jesus Christ is that one day God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. So this Easter, let's remember that this day is much more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is the culmination of God's plan for humanity. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If this is your first time watching us every single week at DHC, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly 
what to do with what you've heard. So because of the occasion, because it's Easter, I want this week's practical to be a little bit more philosophical in nature, right? A little more philosophical than usual. So, for the Christians in the room, let's start with you because I know we probably have a mixed audience, okay? For the Christians in the room, as we remain locked in our houses, okay, I want us to do a couple things. I want us to reflect on, I want us to celebrate in, and I want us to give thanks for the freedom of Easter. See, because of the empty tomb, we have been set free. We have. We've been set free from the power of sin. We've been set free from the power of our past. We have been set free from the sting of death. That's how the scripture puts it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think we take that stuff for granted sometimes. I, I mean, I, I really do. And so this year specifically, because our freedom has, for all intents and purposes, been stripped away from us, let's give thanks for the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, for those of you in our audience who are not Christians, maybe you're, 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 you live with someone who's a Christian and they're watching this right now, maybe they're forcing you to watch this, or maybe you're listening in the background, or maybe you're somebody who's just early stages kind of investigating the claims of Christ or trying to figure out what this whole Christian needs. Okay. My practical for you is this. I would challenge you, honestly, I would challenge you to begin to think about what would it look like for you, okay, as you as an individual, to begin the journey with Christ. Easter, in my opinion, is a standing invitation from God to you, inviting you into a relationship where sin is no longer your master. Now, you might not call it sin, you might call it mistakes, you might call it bad choices, you might call it habits. I call it sin, okay? God, because of Easter, is inviting you into a relationship where sin is no longer your master. He's inviting you into a relationship where, where you are no longer defined past unhappy nights. And he's inviting you into a relationship where you no longer have to have fear of the future. The promises that we spoke of today are available to every single person in this world if they say yes to Jesus. So what would it look like for you to make 2020 the year that God changed your life? I want to thank you guys for giving us a little bit of your time on this Easter Sunday. I hope you have a great day. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together, even if it is through technology, that we could come together as your church, as your movement of people, as followers of Christ, that we could give thanks for what took place on that cross and in that empty tomb. Lord, that during these times of uncertainty, Lord, when all of us are, are locked behind closed doors just as disciples were that very first Easter Sunday, I pray that we all could know the freedom of Christ. Lord, that, that our lives could bring glory to you in everything that we do. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone watching today 
but doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that perhaps this week they might begin to take that first step towards you, Lord. And I know that if we just take one step towards you, you will come running to us. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of life. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.